Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Austin Next has examined a lot of issues as to how we got here, and now we're more focused on the future and how we break through to the innovation super hub that we both know Austin can become. Today, we want to focus on downtown Austin, our central business district, and what role it plays in that evolution. We've seen tremendous changes in downtown Austin, and despite today's economic turmoil, we'll still see new buildings going up. The state capitol is undergoing renovations and expanding into a new pedestrian mall, and Project Connect will impact transits for years to come. So, can downtown become the live, work, play destination that people are talking about? That's where we begin our conversation, and I'm going to start off with the multi-hub concept versus the central hub. And clearly, Austin is that multi-hub. Whether you believe that Austin will eventually turn into ASA, Jason, we have multiple hubs just here in the five-county region, the MSA that we live in, whether it's Georgetown or Round Rock to the north or San Marcos to the south, you know, Bee Caves and Dripping Springs out to west and Lord knows to the east. There's lots of folks here and there's lots of folks surrounding downtown Austin. It was really interesting, the fact that our one of our top episodes was we had John Garrett's multi-hub episode. We had Cullum Clark's multi-hub episode. So people are really kind of leaning into that, right? And we also have the fact that there was a stat in the Business Journal, I don't know, a couple months ago, that the percentage of people who live in Williamson County, who commute to Williamson County, is growing. So it's not everybody's not heading to one spot, right? And that's, of course, why we're talking about this kind of central hub versus multi-hub I was just in a conversation earlier this weekend talking about the fact that when you looked at the map, they had kind of a map of all the zip codes. And it was interesting because Taylor wasn't on that map. And I was trying to explain, well, Samsung is going here and you go from Round Rock in, in Dell all the way over to Taylor. And this is the new, I forget, they call it like this kind of like information, this technology highway that's going on out there and how that's going to become its own hub and how we think about where these interesting different pieces are starting to play and they all bring together their own intellectual density because I think that's the tough part, right? When you think about the beginnings of any sort of ecosystem, that real centralization and density matters a lot. And how do we get everybody into one spot? I mean, you think about going from zero to one to use that kind of that overused phrase, but when you think about when you're starting off an ecosystem, it, it tends to be very real estate driven, right? And so you're like, we need to build that, that whether it's the university or that centralized, you know, something like the ION or down in Houston, we're going to get everybody in one spot. And then you have kind of that next phase that you saw in kind of Silicon Valley, going from Silicon Valley up to San Francisco or out down to, or from, you know, Palo Alto down to San Jose, it kind of does this bit of an explosion. I think that's, that's the spot that we're on. And then you have kind of all these small little hubs. Yeah, I was just going to say that, in a sense, 
we're already beyond some of those little hubs. If you think about it, a couple of weeks back, we had the folks from Workforce Solutions Capital Area on. And what did they say? 100,000 people traveling north from San Antonio to Austin daily for work. And just shy of that number, like 90 some odd thousand, if I've got it, I may be flipped, but just shy of that number traveling from Austin down to San Antonio. So you've got a, a binary star, if you want to use an astronomic type of term, uh, a binary star with multiple little you know planets surrounding each one. And that looks like it's only going to keep growing as Austin and San Antonio move forward. And that's in that part, it obviously ignores the corridor itself, which continues to grow. I mean, I, I remember when we were talking about, as some people I've talked to off here, but we always moved here in 2012. This is one of the reasons that Austin was on our mind is we almost came here in 2012. And, you know, a real estate agent was telling me, you should buy in San Marcos. It, you know, it's, it's the up and coming place. And it was like, okay, sure. And we, we had looked at it. And I, I remember when we did move here, I looked at the number of people so about 10 years kind of between the two times, and it had doubled in size. It's this kind of weird. It's not just the, the two, as you said, kind of the two binary stars, but this connectivity in between continues to kind of grow. And they all are different things. You have, it's a bit more of the logistics kind of center that you have in kind of San Marcos. But then as you start thinking about the land usage, right? We, we have the ability to build out whether all... 15 fabs or whatever the giant number that Samsung was talking about ends up going out to Taylor. You, you can't do that anywhere else. Or I remember when I actually drove by the Gigafactory, I was like, oh, well, let me go down and see if I want to find out where that is. And I was like, hopefully I don't miss it. Remember turning on the 183? I'm like, nope, nope, you cannot miss that. It's gigantic. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because when we talk about some of the places where large facilities are going, Taylor or whatever. You know, I remember the story that we heard from the folks at the Austin Chamber about the GAF roofing factory. And they worked hard knowing it wasn't going to be in Austin, no place to put it, but they wanted it in the general area. And so, you know, there were, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get this right. I think they told us there were a dozen sites that were being looked at, and all of them were in the five-county Austin metro. So that's clearly on the minds of leadership, understanding that, you know, remember that when we, one of our first episodes, we interviewed the president of the chamber in Round Rock, and we were talking about Kalahari, and it's like, you know, that was the last decent-sized plot of land. And when it came to the Samsung deal, everybody was asking why we didn't bid. And Jason was going, hey. It was the, it was, it was the Tesla deal. Yeah, it was the Tesla deal. He's like, yeah, we couldn't. It was Tesla point. Yeah. Right. He's like, hey, I don't have 3,500 acres. I don't have 350 acres to put together. Right. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things. It's great from the size and the spread and the number of people, but then it obviously creates this other tension that you get from something like a downtown and the, the density. And I'll use that both from a physical density, but also the intellectual density, right? Because what's the strongest power of any of these innovation hubs is the agglomeration effects, right? You have this intellectual density, you have the creative collisions. And if our multi-hub goes from, you know, for a moment, let's, let's ignore the San Antonio ASA, 
but just from our actual hub, from San Marcos to Bastrop to Georgetown, how do you, you know, it becomes really hard to really have those creative collisions because people aren't going to be running into each other like you'd have if, oh, great, if we could put everything into that, you know, single hub in downtown. So that that becomes the tension where, where we're like, great, it's multi-hub, we're having all this wonderful stuff, we have the space, but then people are spread. And we're going to talk about that later in the show, but you and I have talked about creative collisions a lot over the two years we've been here. But I think we need to start understanding that, as Tom Singer would put it, you know, when he talked about having a three-name tag day, that's not happening anymore. But I think a lot of those collisions are going to end up in the entertainment district. They're going to end up with the arts that are going on here and with our parks, with things that people don't expect to be used in a business environment. Look at South by Southwest. It takes over downtown. I would expect almost as many collisions in a good way to happen on the streets of downtown Austin as I would expect in the convention center, in the Hilton Hotel, or one of the other Marriott's that was being used as a base of operations. I think you're going to end up having hubs of, you're going to have vertical hubs. And so the collisions has to be between the hubs. So I think a great quote that came out of Jay Herzl's and Jim Breyer's panel at South by was centers of excellence being close together is more important than everyone being close together. So you might end up having the space sector being up near Cedar park because that's where like firefly is because you can be rockets. Life science might be say near the domain or, or that's where that builds up. You may end up having the, tech and Googles and all of those downtown. So understanding where those are, and you have that agglomeration effect because you do have these kind of mini densification areas of those hubs. But then to the point you just made, the how you drive, especially where I think us being the convergence center of the universe, where it's these kind of, let's bring quantum and AI together, or let's bring life science and e-commerce or whatever these, these things be, it's those cross-sector, cross-type of convergence where these unique things like South by or F1 or ACL or whatever they may be begin to start playing a bigger role and might be actually where then something like downtown becomes essential because you can't do that anywhere necessarily else. Yeah, and I think you're right there, but it's more than just where the buildings are located. In a lot of ways, it's where the people are located. Yeah, no, and I think it's it's where people are located, and I think that it does come into play where they're living, and then I think that's a, it's it's kind of a, a good segue to what we think about overall, like how remote work comes into play, and also I think the digital sphere as a whole, right? So I think one set is okay, we've got the remote work site, right, and just a kind of crazy stat in terms of supply and demand. This this is a national stat; it's like a month or two old. 12% of all job postings are for remote work and they received 52% of all applications. That's a tension that can't sustain. No, it can't. If the employers basically don't want remote and the employees do, somebody eventually has to give on, on that sense, right? And so is it this hybrid of every couple of days in? Is it the 
you know, are the back to the creative collisions? Is it happening in a digital environment? Like I'm on, you know, we, we do Twitter, we do LinkedIn. I'm on a bunch of slacks. Some of these things are not necessarily driving the collisions that we want. And maybe those aren't the right tool sets. Like how are you driving this in, in different forms? But I think that's one of the things we have to think about is how do we overlay kind of this, this distance and bringing it together in a different way? Well, I think there's two things. One, I was at an executive forum five, six weeks ago, and there were like 25 companies there. Every single company approached this differently. When you say they approached it differently, what do you mean they approached it differently? Some were doing hybrid. Some were, you know, fixed number of days in the office, fixed number of days out of the office. Some were doing complete remote. Some were forced to do complete in office. Those that were doing hybrid, there were those where they were all within driving distance so that, you know, you could have half the staff work, let's say, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in the office, and half the staff worked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the office so that on Wednesdays, everybody overlapped. Some of them were a combination of, you know, multiple locations, so they would go into pods. You know, everybody that was in, you know, Utah got together in Salt Lake City, you know, once every other week kind of thing. And everybody's in Houston got together and those kinds of things. And how much of that, from your sense, was driven by culture versus demand versus actual looking at like function and activity? Like this is what we, this is how best to work together. This is on the job at hand and how we're building it out. I don't mean to sound snarky, but the answer to your question is yes. It depends on the approach and and what was more important to each of these companies. So many moons ago, I worked for a large company that was B2B services, and the key account representatives normally lived not too far from where those accounts were located because they worked on the customer site a day or two a week. And this is in the mid nineties. And, and so we would get people together once a quarter. Right. I'm agreeing with the way it should be, but what I'm seeing in some of these cases is, is, you know, we have this, and I'm a very fan of like the activity base, but my observation, that's what I'm asking when you saw kind of that, that executive forum is that it's not being that thoughtful. It tends to be like, well, I think we should just do it this way. And that's what I'm saying from, the, from that form that it seemed to be that there had been that much thought or it seemed to be everybody wants remotes so or doing remote. I mean, yes and no. There were a couple there that were state agencies and they were forced to have people in the office all the time. There were a couple where it was functionally driven, but it seemed to be a lot of where the key executives were focused. So a key executive who said, I need to get the very, very, very best people, and I don't care if they interact as much as long as they're great, would be more open to full remote or mostly remote, where an executive that said, you know what, the collaboration is incredibly important, so therefore I want people to be in the office a couple of days a week. So the, the bottom line to me is that although I guess in about a month and a half, the pandemic will officially be over as far as the federal government's concerned, 
you know, I think May 11th is the magic date. I think it's going to take a while for what happened over the last three years to be fully recognized and a new normal to come in. And I think we were talking about, you know, downtown and satellites. If I, you know, we've got a lot of, of software companies and consumer hardware companies around Palmer Lane. Okay. And if I wanted to work for Meta, Visa, Apple, or any of those other companies, gee, that'd be great if I lived in Cedar Park. It'd be terrible if I lived in, in San Marcos. Okay. So that's going to have to work its way out. And we hear from well-known companies. I mean, there was an article, I guess, you know, Elon sent all the employees a note about working in the office at 2 a.m. because he was up late, I guess. You know, I don't think he wanted them there at 2 a.m., but that's when he sent the email. Apple's talking about you must be in the office, I don't know, two, three days a week. We hear about those companies. We don't hear about the thousands of other companies that each have to make these decisions. So here's three interesting data points as we think about where downtown is going and what's going to be there, right? So according to the Flex Index, which tracks corporate policy, Austin is the most, is the third most flexible in terms of our policy, in terms of remote work. Now, when you look at Castle, which looks at return to work and actual feet in the door, right? I think it's a a badge company, right? Austin tends to be like first, second, or third uh, in terms of return to work, looking at pre-pandemic numbers. Now, some of that may be uh, slightly skewed because we have a population growth number, so that so that you know our denominator may be may be changing. And then I, I kind of harken back to when we uh, talked to uh, you know Todd Ronkel at Gensler, and just kind of also the evolution of you know downtown and kind of the central living area, right? Uh, you know, uh, district central living district. That's the way he put it as well. It's kind of the live work play that we've talked about, and different people that are kind of going down there. So people back to work. And being one of the highest metros and the most flexible metro is that kind of thing that's been really that tension or that that split has been has been kind of breaking my brain a little bit to kind of think of like how can you be both at the same time, right? Right. I mean, how many new residential units are being built in downtown? A lot. You know, you've got all that stuff that's going on along Rainy Street. And, and near the convention center, you've got, you know, more units coming up near the domain. You've got units going up near, you know, UT. People believe that the downtown area is where people, a, gr- a good number of people want to live. And I could pretty much guarantee if I lived downtown, I would want to work downtown. And I think it's a great thing to then think about. Who is it that wants to live downtown? And then what's the right type of innovation companies that kind of work from that perspective? Kind of, again, the the perfect kind of realm looking at me, right? So when we were looking at moving here in 2012, we were looking at, because we were engaged at the time, we were looking at moving downtown. Of course we were. Like, why would we want to do that? And then, of course, the idea was we'd move, get engaged, we were engaged. 
married and then we were to have kids, we were going to leave downtown. When we came here and we had three kids, we were not looking downtown at all. And I think that makes sense to me that when you were thinking about the types of industries and the types of innovation that works downtown, or at least the, the offices themselves and the types of workers, it becomes that type of connection piece, right? So let, let's take the extremes, you know, Firefly, building rockets. Okay, you cannot physically build rockets downtown. There's not enough space. There's not enough, like, you're not going to be able to do that. You can't build, you know, EVs. You can't put the Gigafactory downtown. You can't put Tesla. You can't put Samsung. You can't put Firefly. Right. You know, yeah. Anything that's involving manufacturing, right. really. Google, Meta, you know, the software programmers, those types of things, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially since, and this is one of the things that I've said a lot, when, when I think about the standard unit of production for a software-based tech company, you know, it's a 20-something-year-old software engineer. Great. That makes a lot of sense to me, the type of person that would like to live downtown. If I'm 24, 25 years old working at Google, yes, I would love to live downtown. That was the type of environment, that was the types of things that I would want to do. One of the issues that I've had, and I've, I've said this both on the air and on off, when we've talked about generalized you know, life science, and one of the reasons that I have not been a big fan about kind of the urban downtown life science uh, hub not to say that it can't work, but why it doesn't make a lot of sense to me is when I think about, again, that unit of production for being overly generalized here, but the unit of production for a life science firm tends to be a 30-something-year-old PhD. Well, in that case, you're probably more in family formation. You're a little older. So likely you want uh, a house, a, a yard. You're looking at school districts. So more likely than not, this isn't fit for everybody and it isn't hold across, but you're more likely wanting to be not downtown. And so just when thinking about those types of, you know, the types of industries that work in the, in the, the spaces, it, it makes a lot of sense. And then on top of that, when you think about what are the, back to like, again, manufacturing, expensive, large, okay, doesn't work downtown. If I'm a coder, Okay, what do I need? I need a desk. I need a computer. I need that space. So then where does that kind of live, work, play? If I need lab space, that's expensive. So what's the trade-off? Yeah, let me ask you about that because we've talked about lab space a lot. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to postulate something here and, and you react to it. We've talked about how big manufacturing, EVs, you know, rockets absolutely can't be downtown. We've talked about how manufacturing of tiny things, semiconductors, can't be downtown. And I'm going to say that wet lab space is the kind of structure that can't be downtown either. It's not flexible. I can't have Google in there, you know, for, for one multi-year period, swap Google out for meta kind of thing. And other than probably wanting to update the cubicles, cool. It's, it's all the same. If I go from a biotech company that needs you know 10,000 square feet of lab space, I can't just slot that into a high rise. It just doesn't work. 
it's to your point, it's not like manufacturing where it's a complete teardown, but it is much more of a, you know, of a buildout, right? Because there are airflow, uh, I think that's one of the biggest things is, is there are airflow requirements and then there start to be different kind of, you know, water and bench and, and, and that like. So I think that that's the biggest requirement is you're not going to have the types of heating, cooling and air requirements in the, you know, in Google building that you would a lab space. And so that's, that's the biggest, the biggest part to start with. I mean, it's not like going back, you know, long time ago when I was a kid where, you know, the biggest air conditioning issue was the mainframes because right. no, you know, Google and Meta and Visa and all these other guys don't have mainframes where they have their people. They have their cloud data centers off in the middle of nowhere, you know, the great big solar farms to provide power to cool them. And they don't have them downtown either. But yeah, air air requirements, water requirements, and and uh, HVAC kind of requirements. Depending, and this is obviously depending on the type of lab, right? Like obviously the lower the lab, because I mean, like, look, there's not air taking the lowest level and the types of things, um, you know, like you can do lab work in a high school, right? And that doesn't require certain airflow, but the types of experiments that you want to do, again, require more in, uh, you know, uh, more stringent requirements, right? GSL type of requirements. So that it just it just makes it more expensive, which of course then makes it more. You need certain levels of commitment. I also think one of the the, the difficult parts, and I think this is in like you know you and I are not you know real estate people by, by background. This is always the 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 difficult thing that I've I had numerous conversations with is that I think this is one of the bigger things in downtown, especially on the life science side, is everybody's waiting for the big the big fish, right? And I think that works in a downtown environment when you have big fish like Google, Meta, Apple, Indeed, you know, these large companies, which makes sense, right? Like you want that iconic piece of the skyline. I mean, the fact that, you know, the Google sale and as part of it, it, it makes a lot, it's a branding component. I think that has a lot to do with it. And it, it has, it. we're innovative, we're here, but you know, when you have some of these other types of, I think, environments or some of these other companies, you have to make, you have to be able to do that. No, no, no. One building, I need, I want 50 people or I want 40 companies or whatever. And I think when you're getting into the non-class, I think the right term is class A, right? The non-class A desk space, that's, that's a harder gamble, right? For any of the, for any of these kind of, I think, real estate investors. And so, you know, we're now in that kind of chicken and the egg situation. Now, if you want to go, if, hey, if someone can go get a, a, a Pfizer, a Medtronic, uh, somebody to come move downtown, fantastic. I'm all for it and so forth. But as, as far as I know, especially on the life science side, the only company that I am aware of that is still in a downtown urban environment in the healthcare life science space is Pfizer. Their corporate headquarters is in Manhattan. And I'm not 100% sure how much of that is still is lab versus just all corporate functions, right? It could be. I, I just don't know. And I have no idea what's happened there over the course of the pandemic uh, because it's very possible that they might have started moving out of, of uh, Manhattan because I know a lot of companies are. But, you know, I want to look at those companies that have to be downtown and those entities that have to be downtown. Because as many people as we've talked about have options, as many people as we've talked about don't have the option and can't be downtown. 
there are some unique aspects of Austin that lead to a lot of folks having to be here. And clearly, one of the most simple examples is Austin's the capital of Texas. The state capital is physically here. The legislators get together every two years, which is still an unusual thing for me coming from California, but they're here for their five months. And there's still all the infrastructure, though, around that. And that has to be downtown Austin. And we've seen that. And it is it, it's an interesting dichotomy when it comes to innovation because reaching way back into the archives when we had John Sipley Butler on, it was like, yes, there were a lot of attorneys, there were a lot of accountants, and we had to teach them how to work with innovative technology-based companies because they were, at the time, late 80s, or mid, mid to early 80s maybe, Austin was basically state capital and UT Austin, and that was it, you know? And we've seen pictures of it, and it looks totally different. So you've got, obviously, government and that infrastructure at the city, county, and the state level. And in many states, the capital isn't the innovation hub, whether it's New York with Albany, California with Sacramento, you know, but here and Boston and Atlanta, DC, Atlanta, you've got that, that thing going on. It's funny because we, it's a, it's, a, it's a topic we've, we've tried to dig into a couple of times. I know we dug into it on the Fostering Innovation with the Innovation Caucus, and I think we talked about it when we did our road trip to Atlanta. And I think it helps power downtown because it's still it's, it's a growth engine, right? Especially during when you know, the legislature's in session. But it, it definitely still seems separate, right? Because I've asked this question to your point is, look, Albany and uh, Sacramento are not hubs of innovation, and Atlanta and Austin are. And, is, and can I put any sort of reasoning th- that those are? And the best answer that I've gotten from everybody seems to be that the two universities, you know, is that it, is, it's, it's, the univer- it's the universities that happen to do that, that happen to be capitals. It's not that the capitals happen to be here. So I don't know, right? It's it's that connection, but I think it does help to to help power downtown, right? As you said, because I think that's that's the one thing is there is a scale, there is, and and, and I don't want anyone listening to think that it's this is us saying downtown, you were negative downtown. Actually, it's more of this question and getting back to kind of almost kind of full circle in the beginning of the conversation with this multi hub is that the question we were trying to get to, and that's what we want to, I think, want to dig in right now is. We're, it's a multi-hub environment that we're in now, which is new and interesting. And downtown has a role because there are things that you can't do anywhere else, like literally this morning. So the spurs are coming up, right? In, a, in uh, whatever, in a couple of weeks. I think when this episode goes, it may be even closer than that. And, you know, we're, we're going to one of the spurs games, right? And like everything else, when something comes up here, they just announced, they're like, and we're here all week. You know, it's not going to just be the two games. We're here all week, and it's going to be all stuff downtown. Same thing, Country Music Awards. We're not just here once. We're here all week. It's all downtown. South, South by, it's, you know, it's 10 days. And this ability 
to not just be the singular events, but to essentially, quote unquote, take over the city and be and, and use downtown as that hub to do all of that and the gravity of it. Like you can't do that anywhere else in the city or the metro for that matter. That is a unique cultural aspect of the Austinite people that they're willing to allow downtown as a district, you know, 20 blocks by 20 blocks, whatever it is, to be absolutely transformed on a regular basis. I mean, ACL, the Country Music Awards, when they're here in a couple more months. Might be this weekend, actually. Is it really? Wow, I didn't think it was that close to Southwest. Yeah, it's coming up real soon, yeah. It might be past tense by the time this episode comes out. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, if I was a painting contractor or, or a, an exhibition contractor, that'd be great. You know, I'm tearing down South by and building up the uh, Association of Country Music Awards. Great. It's but no, I, I actually, the fun, you mentioned painting. That was one of the things I, I that it surprised me is there's a number of buildings and venues that like completely get repainted on the outside when these when things come. They're like, they're like nope, we, we've changed who we are. You know, when these different events and festivals come by. Yeah. And it's amazing to look at every empty lot is transformed into temporary venues for each of these events. And oh no, I remember we were we were walking. I remember this. It was South by. We were walking from whatever one event to another, and they're building up, and we're like, "What is this?" So it was like the the Volvo uh, EV or something they were building, and it just happened to be right. It was just this empty lot. It was just completely being transformed. Yeah. The Slack activation was an empty lot or a paved parking lot or something. And yeah, that was us walking between the convention center and the library and passing half a dozen of these places. I don't know. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is like the Nokia Live in LA, but that's that's outside the Staples Center. It's one very confined space that gets transformed. You know, Times Square in New York, New Year's Eve. That's all I think about when I think of Times Square. I don't think about it constantly being reinvented for one event or another. But this is a uniquely Austin, uniquely downtown kind of thing that I can't see happening anywhere else. You know? And I think that's one of the things. And I think we, we, we've talked a lot about the fact that like the narrative is important. Right. Like, and that it's not just the narrative. It, I mean, it is the narrative of innovation, but it's how is it that Austin keeps punching above its weight? Right. How is it that the Austin narrative keeps getting talked about? Right. Why are we always on the, the front cover? Why are we always being talked about in this way? And I think this is one of the roles that downtown plays, right? Is the fact that we continue to leave these, these positive impressions, we continue to leave these extended pieces that people kind of come and, and, and play. And then whether it be these type of events or that uh, I'm going to misquote them, but you know, when the, uh, the you know, uh, Crystal Conte, the, the Texas athletic director talked about that Texas football in the stadium is being the front porch of Austin, right. And being those kind of conversations that are being had and, and people kind of coming in and like that it all, I mean, that was one of the things that was just, Shocking to me, I know when we were at the AI Summit back in, in September, October, and 
you had the athletic director of UT talking there, like about innovation. Like that wouldn't be happening anywhere else. I mean, it is, but like that's an interesting thing. Again, another asset that's downtown, right? Like these these pieces that all kind of play together in a way that is interesting, and that you're not you're going to have this scale, you're going to have this this ability, and I think that when we start thinking about this and understanding it, and it's also the part that, that gets kind of my frustrating things when I see these like news reports or I see these, you know, these headlines and they're clickbait, let's be honest, when they're like XYZ is all leaving Austin or musicians are leaving Austin. And then I ask like, oh, where are they going? Oh, they're going somewhere else in the metro. I'm like, okay, we should talk about that and understand what that means. And of course, if, if you have, you know, and I'm not knocking this, if, if, if you're livelihood or money depends on someone being in this particular geography, you know, defined by Austin or other, any other city, then fine. I, I get that as an, you know, but when we think about innovation and, and we, you know, you and I like to use innovation as broadly as possible. You know, we talk a lot about startups and technology, but I think about innovation is everything from food to comedy, to music, to just how are we changing and create and, and defining, you know, the future in that way how we think about the Metro and the pieces of it and come in and really build this out. Right. Look, when Joe Rogan's comedy club is open and, and going, you want to talk about innovations in comedy. Here's a guy who's made his bones as a podcaster coming back into, you know, comedy in a big, big way. Yeah. And he, and he's become a magnet, right? All of his comedy friends as well are continuing to move here. Right. Like that's, you know, and, and, and the mother, I think uh, Mothership is the name of his new comedy club. I think, I think it's downtown as well. Like, so, you know, so that the, yeah, yeah. Rogan's career is from, from comedy to UFC to podcasting and keeping it in stand up. And yeah, it's a whole other fascinating story, but yeah. So yeah, I think it's interesting. So I think it's, it's great to kind of probably end in the way that we always end in a slightly different way. I mean, so instead of what's, what's next Austin. So like what, what's next downtown? As far as I'm concerned, downtown is going to continue to be the kind of vibrant, Austin-specific area that it always has been. Yes, we're seeing a bit of an economic hiccup right now. Yes, I think it's Meta or Google is going to adjust how many people they have down versus how many people they have at some of their other locations. But, you know, come back to me in two years where we are on the other side of this and, you know, all these companies are growing. All these companies are putting more people downtown as well as other places. The residential towers are, are opening and people are moving there. Rainy Street's going to be transformed. And, you know, I don't see anything but good things happening in downtown as part of what's happening in Austin? I think as we really grow into a multi-hub innovation super region, even within just the metro and then growing to ASA, as downtown embraces and understands truly what its role in that ecosystem is, and I think it's evolving, right? There are going to be certain industries that work there. There's certain scale that means something there. I think once that role is better defined and it's not Manhattan, which is the center of the universe in New York, right? 
Once that role is defined and understood better, I think then it's going to thrive, uh, I think, at a new inflection point as we're kind of, as we're hitting a new inflection point in Austin. Well, there you go. This has been fun. Yeah, two guys viewpoint on downtown and continuing the innovation journey that Austin's making. And it's a lot of fun. We're going to have to go solo more often. In the meantime, hey, we love your comments. We love your subscriptions to the podcast. Keep it growing. Take care. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher. Leave us a review and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.